and welcome to Minute 46 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me on this lovely Monday morning in the, in the beginning of September is Kurt Kenny, award-winning producer, director, writer, composer, filmmaker. He, he basically just does everything. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't need a staff. Uh, so, welcome to the show, Kurt. Thank you, thank you. Good to be here. Um, I'm I'm glad it's uh, you know we you and I have more or less been in touch either via you know Facebook or or Twitter or emails for 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 years and I'm I'm glad I finally was able to get you on uh, on on one of my shows you know to to Indeed. start talking about it you know you you were actually very generous you sent me some of your 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 movies that I can actually watch them so. You know, I, mm-hmm. I I will publicly now thank you for that. That that's great. You know, <laughs> and and I gotta also say, and and I've I've probably said this to you in the past or whatever, but you know, one of one of the movies that you made is my all time favorite documentary. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of documentaries, and there isn't a documentary that I would say that I in I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but that 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 I get so much out of than uh, your 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 movie, Dear Zachary. I mean, it's, to me. Uh, Dana, I was talking about this with with, with Dana and Achman, uh, uh in last season. You know, maybe it was in the green room. I don't remember where where I discussed it with her. And she thinks I'm nuts that I've seen the movie like six times or seven times. You know, <laughs> it maybe even more than you've seen it. Have you seen it that many times? Actually, you have because oh, you go to. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had to <laughs> put the whole thing together, and I've had to sit through a million screenings. Are you talking about? And then I've. I uh, remastered the whole film, you know, a couple of years ago in HD, you know, from the original thing. It was shot by shot. So, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've seen it more than anyone on the planet. Certainly. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, I've, I, I've, I've always, you know, admired the fact that you were able to take such a personal story and, you know, make, make a, a movie about it that, that could actually touch other people who don't, who don't know you and, you know, don't know the story. I mean, now, now I obviously know the story. But, uh, you know, so it's it's funny you say that, Dana, because she um, I remember when when she hired me uh, uh, to come in and collaborate with her on Bat Kid Begins, Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, had, you know, she really said, oh, I loved your editing. And but then it's and it's interesting, though, because I thought, okay, she must have just watched Dear Zachary again recently. And no, she hadn't seen it since it first came out because she said, no, I refuse to watch it again because it's too upsetting. Right. She told me she told me that she told me that that she's only seen it once. I remember your editing from years ago and I remember liking it. And so I I want that on this movie. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So. Hey, why not? That that means that you were able to put, put your stamp on uh you know on people's minds and that that's uh you know that that's not a simple thing to do yeah so, so yeah, I, just, I just i just thought she would have gone back and looked at it again before hiring me <laughs> or or at least okay. or at least not tell you that she didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah funny but yeah <laughs> all right so well, we're actually here to talk about Die Hard, so we'll, we'll talk about Die Hard yeah. a little bit also. You know, it's, it's great talking about Dear Zachary. I don't know if you or I would want to do it minute by minute, but uh, I, 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 I think I, <laughs> actually you lived it by minute by minute, so I think that's yeah. uh, that that's more than enough. But uh, yeah, so we're here to talk about Die Hard. So minute forty six begins with shots ringing out and ends with Al getting information on a call. Mm-hmm. All right, so. On Friday, we we left off. Uh, you know, John was uh, on the top of the Nakatomi building. He was trying to call on Channel Nine to to get some sort of uh, you know police operator dispatcher to, to to send someone out, and it didn't work. You know, he was very upset at them, and uh, apparently he needed you know Carl and and uh, Fritz and, and Franco to actually help him out by by shooting at him. You know, <laughs> the the shots ring out, and I mean, first of all, they have great pyrotechnics here you know the the way that the the first of all when when i think of carl i think of him as a sharpshooter but he he always misses you know he's never never able to get john doesn't doesn't happen at all you know and uh i mean john is is first startled by the by the shots ringing out and you know we see all these sparks flying around him from all of the the various bullets hitting around him and then he uh you know goes and uh, jumps over a railing in order to stay away from getting hit. And at the exact same time, you know, the, the both the dispatcher and her supervisor hear these shots ring out and they both uh, take off their, their earpieces because it rings very, very loudly for them. And they hear this screeching sound in their ears 
and we we actually hear them say ow and whoa and things like that so at this point you know carl begins to move into position and is uh working his way towards mclean in order to try and shoot him just to remind everyone who who might have forgotten you know uh mclean uh, a few weeks ago actually killed carl's brother tony and so carl is looking at this from a very uh, personal perspective and wants to make sure that he's uh you know gonna get john and he finally this is his first opportunity to to do so and at this point uh mclean once again uh avoids the the, the shots quite agilely uh, you know you you don't think of of john mclean i mean he's, he's not out of shape but you also don't think of him as, you know, being very uh, acrobatic and things like that. But uh, Bruce Willis does a nice job of of doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, as he he jumps jumps over the railing onto like a slanted part of the the roof, and he slides slides down it. You know, if if there was snow in in California on this uh, Christmas Eve, then you know he would be sledding <laughs> down the, the side. You know, maybe maybe they should just put that in in post production. You know, just a little bit of snow on the on on that slanted uh, part of the roof, and the uh, you know as he's sliding down, there's like sparks on the 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 roof also, which looks really funny the way that they do that. You know, and I mean one of the things that 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 I found really interesting, and and you being both a director and an editor, and you know all of your other hats, you you probably noticed this also. I mean, in the first eight seconds of this minute that we're watching there are six cuts you yeah. know and you know would you i mean you've you've done uh six episodes of the blacklist as a director you know it are, are these type of cuts you know a, a director ha- i assume has the 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 power or has the final say in how it's edited correct and how do, how movies and tv shows well, are, are edited not necessarily in television, but in the in this movie yes yeah, so okay sure in movie Okay. All right. Okay. That, that that's fair. I understand that. But I mean, do you yeah. think that having six cuts in eight seconds is that is that considered normal? Uh, for an action scene, sure. Yeah. I mean, or or more. You know, it's it's uh, it's whatever needs to happen for the rhythm and for the how it's how it's coming together. So yeah, I mean, it it, it works great the the way they have it. You're it's yeah, you're both between the kineticism of what's happening on the rooftop plus the cutting back and forth to the police dispatchers and everything it's uh yeah i mean that's that's it's it's what it needs <laughs> so. okay all right no that that's great i mean yeah. i i'm i'm a movie fan so i watch these things and i usually don't well, count sparks you're talking sparks you're talking about when he's sliding down that's the gunfire that's missing him that's hitting the building I'm just I'm, I'm running the thing without sound here on just looking over that because because you, you you'd said yeah you okay you're right you're right you're right you're right completely yeah I, it's, I, it's the uh, that's the that's yeah. Carl shooting at him and missing which which can <laughs> so. he's coming really close each time you know yeah you're right you're right I uh you know and and we, we see we see the the sign for Ralph's once again which we talked about uh, a few weeks ago you know the the supermarket that that's just over the over the yeah, over the yeah. bend <laughs> you know. That yep, you that's, can see uh, yeah, the, the Ralph's logo, yeah. Yeah, you actually <laughs> that's, see two that's, of them. Uh, Ralph's is my local shopping center here in Los Angeles too. <laughs> so, well, how far, how far are you from Century City? Um, about I, I'm 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 in sort of Bur- in Burbank, which is sort of the northern part of LA. But um, it's about uh, if traffic is kind, maybe thirty minutes. So oh, okay. It, Have you ever been to the Nakatomi Building slash Century oh, City? Oh yeah, building? Well, yeah. I've, I've had meetings there. Yeah, because it's it's part of um. The uh, well, I guess now former 20th Century Fox lot, which is now the 20th Century lot. I don't. I guess it's still the Fox lot. I don't know because I know Disney bought it. And now everything says 20th Century on their stuff, right. but they don't have the word Fox <laughs> anymore. But um, but it's 20th Century part Disney. Of the Fox lot. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, no, I I I remember the first when I first moved here, going, wait a minute, is that the building from Die Hard? And they go, oh, it's the building from Die Hard. And uh, so you would always drive by and go, oh, that's the building from Die Hard. Uh, and then you drive that street so many times that you start, you just stop noticing after a while. But um, I do remember the first time I ever had like a meeting in that building with an executive or something, a film executive, because it's, you know, Fox owns the building. So it's filled with their people. Um, and uh, I just remember going, oh, my God, I'm going into the building. And it's, <laughs> so, I mean, it doesn't necessarily like look the same. It, yeah, because I'm, I'm sure that was all sound stages and everything that they shot, you know, the floors upstairs. <laughs> the lobby's the lobby's the same, but yeah. So, you, you didn't you didn't jump off with with a uh, 
with with a fire hose wrapped around your uh, no, your waist. No, I, I, I was not that adventurous. Uh, I, I, the, the meeting I was there for didn't really call for that kind of uh, <laughs> response. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, but you you said that the the lobby is the same. That that really is the lobby that they they film in. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, as I recall. Yeah, I mean it's right there, so they would have used it. <laughs> you know, there's no reason to rebuild it. Um, as far as I know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, I haven't been there in several years, so it's hard for me to remember specifically, but as, as far as I remember, yeah. Okay. So I'll send you on a mission. The next time you're there, take a look and then <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Is it the same we'll lobby? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. basically, uh, you know, as, as he falls off of this slanted, uh, roof, he hits the, the railing and he, it looks like he's hitting it pretty hard. You know the the velocity yeah. that 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 he's falling in and stuff like that, but he still you know quickly gets a hold of himself and uh, he's able to to turn around quite quickly and start running away. You know to to stay away from all the all all the uh, squibs and uh, you know pyrotechnics going off <laughs> along the way to make it yeah. look more uh, you know more thrilling for us to watch. You know, and Ooh. then the shot goes back to the uh, dispatchers. And we see that the uh, the supervisor she she realizes that uh, you know something should be done, but uh, she she still doesn't seem overly concerned. You you think that at this point they would they would know what it's you know what the sound of a gun gunshot might be. I don't know. Well, it, it's it's interesting looking at that scene, particularly in today's world, of the fact that they don't take it very seriously, whereas I think. Uh, today you take that very seriously. Right, post post nine eleven for sure. <laughs> yeah, or 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 just uh, not even nine eleven per se. Just all the awful mass shootings that happen in this country now. It's just it's it's uh, you know um, just you know it's it's something that you take seriously and you get right. Yeah, for sure. No. Um. So so yeah. So that's the uh, the thing when I watch that scene, I'm like. Really, you're kind of like, eh. See if somebody can go by, as yeah, opposed to <laughs> this is an incident. Exactly. You know, get people over there immediately. Right. And <laughs> the fact that they take them seriously was is. Uh, I don't. I don't. It's it's interesting. I I remember seeing this. I saw this in the theater like the first week that it was out. Um, back in 1988, and it's hard to remember because the world was so different then. But like. And also, you were 14, scene. so it's not like uh, you know. Um. Yeah. I guess I would have been. Yeah. 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 yeah I, you um, and I. You and I are the same age. So. So okay, you're... yeah, yeah. Well, because my birthday's in in October, in October though, so I would have. Right. See, I didn't so know from IMDb. <laughs> so I might have been. Let's see. You were no, still. No, I would probably. You were fourteen no, going on fifteen. 15. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. I did the math um, for you, Kurt. <laughs> I actually saw this the first time with Andrew from Dear Zachary. We oh, okay. Saw it together. Um, at the Century Town and Country in San Jose, which doesn't exist anymore, they bulldozed it and made Santana Row there. But um. Oh wow. But. Uh, I, it's interesting to think back to that time, like, would this, in the time that it was made, would that have seemed like a normal response? Or is that a movie thing that they're trying to, like, make it more difficult for the lead character that nobody believes him? <laughs> you know? Um, I, I think it's a movie thing. I, I would assume that, that if someone called and, and said everything that he said last week and everything that he's saying now, you, you got to take it at least a little bit more seriously than, than getting a response. See if there's a black and white that can do a drive-by, you know, actually yeah. it's funny that they also say drive-by at that point, you know, when they're talking about shooting, you know, that's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I wonder if yeah. uh, the writer put that in there on purpose, you know, to make it uh, yeah. sound also, funnier. It, yeah. It's also interesting looking at this, uh, this movie again too, just to remember, because that was one thing I loved at the time is how how wide the aspect ratio is i mean this is a real rectangle right i mean this is you know i mean just yeah because this is wider than most movies and i love that because it was on the big screen this was such a widescreen movie and the lenses i remember um because jan de bont i believe was the cinematographer yeah. on this mm-hmm. and, yes um and the like even in the shot of uh bruce willis when he falls against the railing and you look out there just the way all the out-of-focus lights in the distance become these ovals, I, I just, I don't know, I, I, you know, I love what the lenses do to the lights. That's kind of a feature throughout this film of the the way the lenses treat the things that are out of focus in the background as well, too, is, is just the way the, the glass treats it, that they become these, like, ovals. Because oftentimes you see, 
when you're throwing lights out of focus in the distance, they'll become like a circle. But in this case, on these lenses, they become like an oval, which I always thought was so cool. And another thing I remember. Wait, and that's connected for, to the aspect ratio? See, I don't know enough about this. Right. That's why I'm glad that you're, 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 you're teaching me about this and teaching everyone who's <laughs> listening about this. I, I never even thought about the fact. So, I mean, it's because of the aspect ratio that, that the, when you're looking at lights from afar, they're going to look like just uh, ovals. As opposed to well, it's it's a feature of this particular lens. These are I'm sure Panavision lenses probably, but um, but because what this the way this this kind of film was shot back in the day is that the Panavision lens would squeeze the image like like because the the film uh itself was say more of a a rectangle like you know closer to you know most movies are one eight five or whatever so and this is much wider so. To get to get the most out of the uh, out of the film, what they would do is they would take the 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 lens would you know be shooting for this aspect ratio we're watching, but then it would squeeze the image down um, from right to left you know horizontally, so everyone would like look really thin and tall, pancakeish, <laughs> and on the on the image in order to fill the 35 frame, and then when they project it, the the lens unsqueezes it again to to make it you know all wide and rectangular. And so that's kind of, I think, a feature of, of that. Although, weirdly, you would think if that were happening that they would go ovalish the other way, but they don't. So it, it's just a feature of this particular lens I just happen to like a lot. And it's it's a look that I remember from that era that you don't see as much anymore um, and that I really always liked. Um, and another thing I really do remember very well from this is you see this this movie in the theater and like, oh, it's amazing. And around that time, of course, VHS was all we had, right? To to and watch. Then they had and scan. Like, oh man, I, I can't wait for Die Hard to come out on VHS so I can see it again. And then you get it, and you are literally seeing half the frame Correct. because it was a four by three image, and so there was no, you you never had anywhere near the same experience with Die Hard on home video because you could only see half the image. Um, that's why I remember in like 1990 or so, I finally got a laserdisc player. And those were the only ones that had letterboxed editions of things where you could actually see the whole image with the black bars on the top and bottom. Right. And Die Hard was one of the first movies I bought because I wanted to be able to see it again, you oh, know, wow. the way with the, with the actual image, you know, and not just see like half the image with half of it chopped off and then panning back and forth across this <laughs> widescreen image, which the uh, pan and scan was a particularly terrible uh, idea of the VHS <laughs> era. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> but, remember. Uh, but this, this movie, I remember being one of the... Um, this movie and Born on the Fourth of July were two that I remember that I movies I loved from that era that just did not work on VHS because you could only see half the image, and right. uh, and same with actually Chinatown too. Chinatown is almost this wide, as well. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it's yeah I, I'm not sure exactly what numeric aspect ratio this is, but this is you know really wide you know compared to most movies. <laughs> so. Anyway, just a little right. bit. No, that's great. Thank I mean, I, I I remember that on one of the DVD sets that I bought of Die Hard, so they had a, a special uh, a feature where they showed the whole idea of pan and scan as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, watching it in widescreen. And, you know, not being a, a uh, you know, someone who looks at the technical aspects of a movie like you do. You know, for me, it, it bothered me watching it on TV screen, but I was still glad to be able to watch it again. You know, it didn't make sure. as much of a difference from that perspective. But once I saw this DVD feature explaining to me the difference between pan and scan, you know, that the idea that they zoom in and then they, you know, they move from left to right and stuff like that. I remember they, the, on this feature, they showed the scene where they, I think where they're opening the vault. I, remember, I think that's mm-hmm. what it is. And you see the difference and it just blew my mind how very different watching something in pan and scan and watching something like this was. And, you know, but now we don't have to worry about that anymore because now, now we that's just can complain that, that we it, have it to, is, that we have these black bars on our, on our screens, you know, that's it. <laughs> but, but interesting because with this movie, I remember seeing it for the first time in the theater and going, Oh wow. You know, that's amazing. And then seeing it later on VHS and going, huh, that's what's well, different. Whereas there were some movies, I remember both Chinatown and Jaws like, or two that come to mind that are widescreen that the first time I ever saw them was on VHS. Uh-huh. So, okay. Well, obviously so, so <laughs> I, I don't so think I, I would be, I would be very upset down. at your parents if they took you to see either of those in the theater, you know, <laughs> when, 
true. But 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 th that's the, the interesting thing is because for years I had only ever seen Chinatown and Jaws on VHS. So when I finally got to see them, I, I don't remember if it was just the letterbox edition on Laserdisc or if I, you know, because I've now seen them both on the big screen many times at revival screenings. But when I, I remember seeing them for the first time going, that's why that shot is composed that way. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it would just be this weird, awkward frame that you would see on the VHS pan and scan. But then you see the whole thing, you go, oh, because it, it it didn't make sense. Why Why is this guy weird in the frame like this? And then you go, oh, that's we're only seeing the left half. Now, now I'm seeing the whole picture. I, now I understand why it was composed that way. Wow. So that was kind of a, an outgrowth of growing up on VHS is you would eventually see these movies and understand why what seemed like a very awkward composition uh, on VHS was actually a very good composition. You could see the rest of the image. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> Close Encounters was another one that way, too, because that's very wide. I, I only ever saw that on VHS first, and then later you see that on the big screen, you go, oh, that's why it's composed that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That That's so fascinating. That's great. Again, I, I never pay attention to these things, but but when you point them out, it makes sense, you know. So mm -hmm. you know, I, I think well, you, I, you I need to watch it, movies uh, with people like you who can point them out as I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense, you know. Well, yeah, and you can even see it on, in the background of like the shot with the dispatchers and the, um, uh, you know, when they're saying, hey, see if there's a black and white that can do a drive-by. That even the lights on the panel behind them kind of have this ovally kind of thing going oh, on. Oh, you're right. Well, wow. <laughs> and also, also on the Christmas tree. Which is even closer, but it's still, yeah. you know, somewhat out of focus. Mm -hmm. Oh wow, very cool. So yeah, right. just a feature of that particular glass that lens that I happen to like. But yeah, <laughs> so. have you ever used it in anything that you filmed? No, no. Not, not that I'm aware of. No, no, no. We never. Uh, I, I mean, they use Panavision lenses on Blacklist, but not. You know, they were never shooting this wide, <laughs> and they were not shooting anamorphics. So. No, but they're also they're also shooting it 30, 30 years later. So I'm, I'm assuming that the, yeah, they're not yeah, using they're, the they're same on, the same on lenses. Like Sony Venice, yeah, yeah, on Sony Venice digital cameras. With I think they had the the Panavision Primo set or something, but it, it, it it's not anamorphic per se. It's just you know basically like sixteen by nine one eight five type thing is what they're they're doing with that. So <laughs> yeah. okay. All right. So then the, the the scene switches and we we get a shot of uh, a bunch of uh, I guess you could say tasty goodies, you know. Twinkies. <laughs> we see we see a bunch of Twinkies. We see uh, some Hostess uh, fruit pies. We see lemon and blackberry. Uh, we see a few other things out of focus. Can't really tell what exactly they are. Um, we hear music in the background of Let It Snow. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, let it snow, let it snow, which is basically one of the main themes of this movie, which, uh, you know, we, we will hear numerous times throughout the movie, uh, even when we get to the credits. That's a, that is the first uh, song that is played, you know, as uh, Argyle is getting back into the limo and says, if this is their idea of Christmas, I got to be here for New Year's, you know, and then <laughs> let it snow, let it snow starts off there. So basically, yeah. we, we see all these uh, hostess cakes. So what, what do you know about hostess cakes? Oh, probably too much. Uh, I remember that it's funny, interesting, this packaging from the 80s, because I remember that packaging. And I do not eat I do not eat Twinkies regularly, I must say. But I actually I must confess, I did buy a box of them just about a week ago uh, to prepare really, for this. Because <laughs> because because the, the new Minions movie just came out. And I remember like years ago, they did a promotional tie-in with the Minions when the first Minions movie came out where they packaged the Twinkies to look like the Minions okay. with like the little Kevin, Bob and Stuart things over them. I was hoping they were going to do that again this time. They did not. Um, but I was actually going to uh, my local, because I've developed a affinity for drive-in movie theaters, particularly since. Um, did you made a documentary yeah. about it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, did, I, I, I renewed my experience with them during uh, lockdown during the pandemic because that was the only movie theater that was open. And so now I just go back there a lot. So I was going to see the Minions movie at the drive-in. I thought, you know, I got to have Twinkies if I'm going to see the Minions at the drive-in. I just got to do it, you know, because the, the, the Minions look like Twinkies. And I don't know. So, so I, I, I did that. And it was that was its own thing. But they did not have the Minions packaging this time, which was disappointing to me. But were they still anyway, tasty? Nothing to do with that so everything to do with Twinkies and nothing to do with that heart. But, you know, that, that's fine. That's, so. that, that's okay. But were they still tasty for you? Oh, very much. Yes. Right. Yeah, so, I, I just finished the box. I just finished the box yesterday, and I'm sure I will not buy another one for like five years. But until the next Minion <laughs> so, movie comes out, 
which, 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 based on based on uh, you know how well it, it has done uh, you know in the theaters, it probably will not take five years for another one to come out. <laughs> well, I, from what I understand, this one's been done for a couple of years, but they were holding it because of uh, just like with Top yeah. Gun, they were holding it because they wanted right. to release it when theaters were in full swing again. So, yeah, so I. I think it was actually only supposed to be five years between Minions movies, not seven, but, right. <laughs> but, uh, oh, well, who knows? Know. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. So, I mean, personally, uh, hostess food, it's, it's not kosher. So I haven't had any of them. I've had, mm. you know, uh, um, I guess you could say replicas or, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've had the kosher versions of them and kosher Twinkies are great. And I, I always love the fruit pies also. Especially the Apple ones, which we'll, we'll see in a few seconds when when they pan up, but we don't get to see that yet. So, um, Hostess, do you, do you know what year the the brand Hostess uh, actually uh, debuted? No, I do not. What, what what would you guess? How how many years? Give give a guess. What I would you guess think? Some, I would guess sometime in the 1970s, but I could be wrong. Okay, 1919. Really? Wow. Yes. Okay. Dang. Yes. They started out with the Hostess go. cupcakes. In 1919, and the Twinkies only uh, were produced in 1930. Okay. Wow. Because so, I remember they went. I remember they were out of business for a little while too, and then they, they were out of business like recently. Between uh, yeah. I think 2000 and and nine, um, mm-hmm. uh, 2012, something like that. That, that it. Yeah. Right. 2009 to 2012, they didn't have it, and then it came back uh, in 2013. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, I mean, I can understand why you would think that that it was created in the 70s and 80s, because in the 70s and 80s, they would have lots of ads in comic books. Mm-hmm. OK, they would have all these comic book advertisements, they have full page ads. You know, they did in D.C. and Marvel and Harvey and Archie Comics and Gold Key Comics that they would actually have, you know, the the writers and artists of those comics actually would would do the the artwork on this they would have some sort of you know uh uh either some major character whether it was a, a hero or a villain you know trying to uh you know get the other to to eat hostess products you know for instance they would they would have you know the superhero typically trying to defeat a villain by distracting them or bribing them with hostess products or things like that <laughs> And then they would have like like uh, things with maybe the Joker or the Penguin, and they would fail to do the same thing by trying to distract uh, Batman and Robin with the whole thing. I, I mean, I was a big comic book fan back in the 70s and 80s, so I, I you know, when I came across this bit of trivia, it uh, you know reminded me of of what things were like back then with with those full page ads and stuff like that. So yeah. Now, do you remember any of the mascots from Hostess? Um. Mainly just the Twinkie Cowboy. Do you um, remember what his name was? Twinkie the Kid? Yeah, very good, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so the, the the most recognized mascot is Twinkie the Kid, which is a Twinkie dressed like a, a wrangler who's who acts like a person. Um, mm-hmm. Other mascots that they had were uh, known as Big Wheels, Captain Cupcake, Fruit Pie the Magician. That one I remember seeing things before. Uh, Happy okay. Ho-Ho, King Ding Dong. Chauncey uh, Chocodile, Susie Q, and Chipper Brownie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it brings back a lot of memories. <laughs> so, so, so the Twinkie is a golden sponge cake with a creamy filling, right? It was mm-hmm. invented in 1930 by a, a man named James Alexander Duar in Schiller Park, Illinois, um, where he... Uh, <laughs> he he actually had several machines that were used for making cream-filled strawberry shortcakes, and they they weren't using them because uh, there there were no strawberries. It was not strawberry season, so he decided to uh, use banana cream instead, and uh, he put that inside the the white cake and called it a Twinkie, and that that uh, quickly became very popular. But uh, during World War II, there was uh, bananas were being rationed. So he had to think of something else to be able to put inside. So somehow he came up with the idea that he was going to switch to vanilla cream. And uh, yeah. I guess you could say the rest is history. Because once that happened, nobody wanted yeah. the banana flavor anymore. They they tried bringing back the banana flavor a few times. And uh, it just never worked. 
People didn't want it. They only want the, you know, they only wanted the cream-filled ones. Well, actually, I did find that uh, this summer they did bring back the banana briefly, and that's the one version that they're doing with the Minions artwork on it right now because the Minions love bananas, so they're because they're always banana, banana, right. you know. So, okay. so this summer they have a banana one back, I guess, briefly. But I didn't find it in the shopping center where I was because I would have gotten the the uh, I would have gotten that version just for the just for the artwork of the, <laughs> the Minions. <laughs> have you tasted the banana flavor? Is it or, or I you just haven't? No. Okay. No, no, I was wondering I if it's. I was wondering if it's more. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's tastier. Who knows? <laughs> right. Can, can you think of any other movies besides Die Hard that that reference Twinkies? Uh, Ghostbusters. That's right. <laughs> sure. That's right. Uh, where Egon, Egon uh, you know, talks about the speculated level of psychokinetic energy and uses a Twinkie to represent the normal level of such energy in New York. And then he says, based mm-hmm. on a recent sample, the Twinkie represents, representing New York would be over 35 feet long and weigh approximately 600 pounds. <laughs> to which yep. Winston says, that's a big Twinkie. Yep. So yeah, I found like a whole bunch of references. Uh, I'll just mention a few of them. The the movie The Deer Hunter has uh you know someone mm-hmm. dipping a Twinkie in mustard. I don't okay. I don't know. That doesn't sound very tasty, but apparently for them it's in the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin. So he uh, said that his favorite meal is tuna fish salad on white bread with mayonnaise and a couple of Twinkies. I remember that now. Okay. <laughs> I remember that. Here, Naven, have a Twinkie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. Um, the movie UHF with uh, Weirdo Yankovic, he made a Twinkie wiener sandwich. He takes a hot dog and uh, put it inside of the Twinkie and put the uh, easy cheese on top for him to, okay. to have that. Um, in the movie Benny and June with um, uh, one of the characters grabs uh, two Twinkies and and uses them as dance shoes in a diner, similar to what uh, you know, we've seen. We, we saw Robert Downey Jr. do that in uh, Chaplin, and I think mm-hmm. also um, Billy Crystal did it in Mr. Saturday Night. <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> comes from, yeah. Yeah. Hmm? No, what did you say? Oh, Charlie Chaplin himself did that, and it was yes. a fork and a couple of things in his, uh, his silence. That's where it comes from, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> of course. Of course. And uh, there's also a Seinfeld episode. The the episode The Big Salad, where Jerry refers to Newman as being a mystery wrapped up in a Twinkie. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean I found a whole bunch more. I have like another two pages of references. I think we're just gonna skip those. You know, I think we've 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 done the the you know the the big ones from the seventies uh, and eighties. We, we won't go into okay. more modern uh, versions of them. But the, there's also the idea of a Twinkie defense. Have you ever heard of that in in law? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. it's a legal mm-hmm. defense. It's not oh. it's not a recognized legal defense, but it's a catch-all term used by reporters during their coverage of the trial of defendant Dan White for the murders of San Francisco City Supervisor Harvey Milk and Mayor George Moscone. So White's defense was that he suffered diminished capacity as a result of his depression. His change in diet from healthy food to Twinkies and other sugary foods was said to be a symptom of his depression. Contrary to common belief, White's attorneys did not argue that the Twinkies were the cause of White's actions, but that their consumption was symptomatic of the underlying depression. So, you know, the, we've all heard of the, the Twinkie defense, but now now we know what it, yeah. where it's from. Uh, they, they also claim that uh, Twinkies have an infinite shelf life. You know, that's one of the mm-hmm. uh, myths, but uh, un- it, it's apparently not, not true. But uh, that that's just an urban legend that claims it. But it has to do the urban legend claims that because of all of the uh, you know chemicals that they they use to to produce this. And uh, yeah, so that, that's pretty much all we have to say about Twinkies. I, th- I, th- I think we've okay. said enough about Twinkies. <laughs> yeah, what I, what I do like is here that they're being used to kind of flip the uh, the stereotype of the police officer because the stereotype is always like the, like the guy says at the counter in a moment here. Uh, don't you guys just like donuts? Or I thought you guys just ate donuts. And uh, and then he says it's for my wife. She's pregnant, and the guy doesn't believe him. Yeah. But it's a nice way to both flip the stereotype of the police officer at the same time as giving story information that his wife is pregnant, which is going to come up later when he yeah. talks with John Plain and everything. So it's 
it's a it's a really nice character introduction, I think. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. And especially since you know Twinkies come up later, also. So we 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 established the fact that he likes Twinkies because I don't I don't really believe him that it's for his wife, but that's a separate issue. But, uh, <laughs> but no, but, so but, but it, it does bring up the whole subject of family, which he's going to discuss with John McClane yes, later. So yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so, so it, that's the the good part is like it's not just a throwaway moment of we're meeting the character. It's like they're giving you something that's going to be used later. So. Yes, this this movie does that very often. There's so many things that 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 it ref, that are referenced at one point that come up later and you don't expect them to come up at all. And this is another pure, great example of that. I mean, you have, so there, there are nine Twinkies on the shelf here that we see and he uh, has two in his hand and he grabs four more. So, you know, he's, he's carrying six twink six bags of Twinkies. Cause I think there's, there's two in each. So he's basically got 12 Twinkies. He's got a dozen Twinkies yep. that he's taken to the, you, you think he would have taken like a little, uh, hand cart or something like that, hand basket, if he knows he's taking so many because he just like piles them up, you know, in his hand. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the type of thing that you do when you, when you go somewhere and you don't expect to take more. You know, it's just something yep. that, that, uh, you know, I'm just going to take one. And like, oh, well, if I'm already taking one, you know, I might as well just take six. You know, and that's the then, kind of question I can see an actor asking. Why wouldn't I just have a hand cart? Well, because it's a cooler image. You look at the thing. Yeah, but would I do that? <laughs> so, yeah, so. so you think that yeah, that yeah. Reginald Hill Johnson asked John like John McTurnan like that thing? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> huh? I said. So you think that that Reginald Hill Johnson asked John McTurnan that question? I don't know. He <laughs> might have said, "Well, why wouldn't I have? You know, if I knew I was buying all these, it's like, well, you just decided right then and there. You just saw them on the rack. You weren't intending to, but you know, right. maybe that's what it is." So you're saying, you're saying, so, as a director, you need to be quick on your feet and know how to give a quick answer to these type of things, as well, opposed to it, having it to think. Also, you have to, or you can be adaptable and say, "Well, okay, the cart's not such a bad idea. Let's do that." But you know, <clears throat> so you can. It's 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 a question of you know just making that call. I mean, you shouldn't be wedded to the idea that he's got to carry the Twinkies. But then also, if you've got the cart. You got to deal with it over at the counter too. Like, where are you going to put the card? Where does it sit? Do you have to walk because you don't want to have a bunch of extraneous movements. <laughs> right. Okay. There is something to that also. Very true. Very true. Yeah. See, I, I don't think like, about those things. I think about why is he just, why is he yeah, carrying a stack? Not props can be a nightmare. Just with oh, I, on the blacklist was always like prop hell. The people would always have six million gadgets, and you got to figure out what to do with them, and they would take forever, and you have to jump cut the scene later. And it's, yeah. So. <laughs> So anyway, hey, why not? so yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm glad he didn't go for the hand card personally because it's just one more thing to have to put down. <laughs> okay, that it's that makes sense. No, but also it's nice to see him walking with with you know trying to make sure that something doesn't fall you know as he's walking you know that that would have really <laughs> been a nightmare if, if as he's walking you know I, I wonder how many times they had to 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 you know how many takes they had to make. You know, before that, he didn't drop them all. You know, as he's walking, walking by. Yeah. You know, and carrying them over to the to the counter, and that, so the guy at the at the you know, at the the cashier. So it's a an actor named uh, Kip Waldo, who was mm-hmm. born in uh, 1953. He unfortunately passed away uh, this past uh, November at the age of 68. Mm-hmm. He only has seven movie credits, um, and most of them are very small roles, and he has mm-hmm. one. TV credit, and that's in okay. an after-school special. Okay, hmm. so you like me probably you know grew up with all those after-school specials. You know, I, yeah. I I was like looking them up to see just you know you you remember what the whole idea of an after after-school special is right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right. So basically, they, it had a 25-year run on ABC. Okay, from uh, October 1972 to January. 1997, they would have uh, short anthology type uh, shows that would uh, would be on either in the late afternoon or the weekends. And most of these episodes were dramatically presented situations, quite often very controversial uh, subjects, you know, uh, for for children and teenagers to be able to uh, try and get an I, you know, to to have to deal with these special episodes type of things you know it won 51 daytime emmys over the 25 years that it that it ran you know and and when if you look at the list i'm not going to go through the whole list now because again it's 25 years of of shows i mean most most seasons had like six or seven episodes something like that but that's still a great a very large amount but a lot of actors that well-known actors that we know 
we're in a whole bunch of these type of things. So I'll just give another an example. In the second season, so there was a an episode called Rookie of the Year, where you had an 11 year old girl played by Jodie Foster, who uh, you know encountered opposition when she wanted to join her brother's little league baseball team, which was uh, you know in 1972, uh, that was the year when girls were first allowed to be in little league teams. So they they would have I mean that that's not a controversial topic but they would have topics about uh, you know teen pregnancy about you know premarital sex and drugs and you know all all the things that uh, all the fun things that, that that kids like to do in the 70s 80s and 90s I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, probably probably hasn't changed much since then or actually we we know it hasn't even though we would like to believe that it has you know. It's it's always nice to believe that, that that we're living in a more innocent world than we than we grew up in, but uh, uh, unfortunately, that's probably not true. <laughs> well, but uh, yeah, so they they had all of these uh, uh, after school specials. So he was he was in one called the uh, the gambler gambler. So I mean, I I didn't look up what his you know what he actually did in that role, but my assumption is it was also a very small role based on everything else that that he's done. You know, on uh, according to IMDb. So also, if you look around the the cash register and stuff like that, they have some interesting things. There's there's a little sign where, well, actually, first of all, I as you mentioned earlier. So when when Al comes up to the counter and brings all his Twinkies, so the the cashier then says to him, "I just thought you guys ate donuts." So do you know mm-hmm. where the myth comes from that 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 cops only eat donuts? Well, I just think back in the day, the donut shop was just a convenient place for them to hang out. <laughs> and then that, that, hence, you know, I mean, there aren't as many donut shops anymore, you know, so now there's like Starbucks and things, you know, <laughs> so that's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, but, but back in the day, I think there were a lot more donut shops in there than there are now. <laughs> okay. Well, so. you, you are completely correct, but, but, but it, it's a little more than that. It's the idea that, that at the end of shift, most cops would have to go somewhere to write up their reports. So they, you know, if they're doing it in the middle of the night, so they would then find, you know, a little coffee shop where they would have donut shops that were open all night. And, you know, it doesn't cost very much money to buy a donut. And also, if you go to a diner, you have to wait and sit for your order to get be ready and stuff like that. This was, right. I guess, uh, considered more fast food at the time. You know, that, that was seriously fast food. You know, you just go into Dunkin' Donuts and you say, okay, I want that. And it's right there, you know, and you can sit mm-hmm. in there. So, so that's where the, this myth came from. That, uh, that's, and, and there was also the idea that, that, that uh, cops didn't want to go places where they would be offered things for free. You know, so they would go to a relatively inexpensive place so that they wouldn't have to worry about that. You know, they they wouldn't okay. they wouldn't feel the need to say, okay, I'll I'll save five bucks instead. It's I'll save you know uh, twenty five cents on on the donut. But if someone's offering, you know, they're not going to offer them free. To, they'll say, oh, I can still pay the the quarter for the donuts or whatever it was at the time. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So at this point, then Al responds and laughs. And he doesn't laugh very convincingly because then he says, they're for my wife. And so the, the cashier goes, yeah. And he goes, she's pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> then he goes, ah, bag it. <laughs> Meaning, stop bothering me with this. You know, I, you, you got me. I'm buying it for myself. And that's it. <laughs> and and then uh, if you look on the, the, the side of the, the, the counter, so first of all, we know that this is the AMPM. It's like it's like a 7-Eleven type store that's open 24 hours a day. But you can see that that when he gives the change to Al, so Al takes the change and puts it like in a little charity box on the side there, you know, a donation box. And there's a, a little sign right next to it that says every 50 cents helps to keep a kid off drugs. And hmm. this, this uh, sparked something in me. I... I I said this sounds so familiar. I was trying, so I did a search online, and I was able to find that this is the part of one of the slogans from a an educational program from from the uh, '80s that was known as Dare, Drug Abuse Resistance yeah, Education. Yeah, yeah I, remember, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And when I looked after that, finding that, I looked at the sign. You can actually see the words Dare on there. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see that it's. Uh, 
that 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 really is what it's from. You know, it wasn't that it was just my imagination trying to find it. So so the the program was actually developed in 1983, uh, along with the chief of of police in L.A., Daryl Gates, along with the superintendent of the L.A. Uh, school district, Harry Handler. And the the idea was to to get kids to start talking about drug abuse and, uh, you know, try to find ways for for them to to talk about it and not get into, you know, not not get into drugs and alcohol. They would have all these lectures to students about the harmful consequences and things like that. You know, what you should do in order to refuse drugs, you know, just say no and things like that. So I, I thought mm-hmm. that, that that's great, you know, being able to just capture, you know, because as now I understand why, but nothing in the background is in focus. I mean, even if you look, it, it's because of the aspect ratio. If you look at all the well, posters, well, I mean, I, I, that's the the f stop is is just the, the, you have a low f stop of like a you shoot everything at like a two eight or something like that and it'll you know throw everything but like one plane out of focus but uh, but it's it's the the glass that they're using that makes the background when it's out of focus do certain things that it wouldn't on other lenses mm. <laughs> but okay. but to get something to get something out of focus. Um, yeah, if, if you if you want to make sure like that only one thing in the frame is in focus and everything else is out of focus, that's when you you use uh, lower numbers on the f stop. You know, go down to like f two two eight, you know, three two something like that. Uh-huh. I I do that a lot when um now when shooting interviews uh, with people is because you really want like the person's face to be crisp and everything else to fall off in the background. So you try to you know shoot at the lowest stop possible. The problem being, of course, when you do that, that um people if they start moving around and everything in their chair, then you have to constantly keep refocusing <laughs> because the the smallest move will put them out of focus. <laughs> but, uh, but I feel it's, it's best for uh, visually to, you know, keep the, the audience's focus on one thing. It's just more pleasing, I think. Right. But, you know, but if, if, so if you shoot really high F stop numbers, things are in focus, but. Right. No, I just, I, I find it very interesting that despite that, we can still see, the the words on the thing for dare you know because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's even because like all the the stuff on the shelves are all out of focus but but here it's not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep you know so that, that's uh that's very interesting so he he puts the money into the charity box and then uh well, well that, that's because the sign is right next to to, to al, al right. who's um who's in focus. So because it's right, it's small in the frame, but it's right next to him. So it's part of what's, uh, what's being chosen <laughs> and selected right. for focus. <laughs> right. Okay. And then, uh, you know, he, he, you can see that Al feels quite embarrassed about this whole situation, the way that he's walking past the cashier, you know, he, he knows he's been, he's been caught. He's, his yep. wife is pregnant. <laughs> okay. But, but these Twinkies are not for his wife. We, we know that. <laughs> That's yep. what it comes down to, just by but just by the body language, you know. And as he's as he's walking towards the door, so we we see a uh, uh, a sign for a it says ninety nine cents, make your own milkshake, and then uh, right next to that is a soft ice cream uh, dispenser for sixty nine cents, which you know nowadays it would probably be a few dollars worth <laughs> each of those. Yeah, you know, and inflation. Over the last thirty-four years, we'll, we'll, you'll never be able to make your own uh, milkshake for ninety-nine cents. Yeah, that, it's a bit different. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, I wonder if they even let people make their own milkshakes at this point, or you have to have the, uh, you know, the the, the cashier do, do it for you. You know, I don't know. They still have AMPM mini marts around. I've never really looked at. I I don't. I go there to get gas, and that's it. So I don't really look at what they offer in the, in the shop. But but but. Uh, but the, the the chain itself is still in existence, right? So, okay, makes sense. And uh, then he's he's walking out of the of the store, and he gets a call on his radio, and he's uh, we hear a woman on the radio saying, "Dispatch to eight, eight Lincoln Thirty over." So he takes his uh, his microphone and responds, "This is Eight Lincoln Thirty. Come on, come on in over." And then she says, investigate a code two at Nakatomi Plaza, Century City. Okay. Now, do you have any idea what a code two is? No. <laughs> okay. So I looked it up, and it uh, the only thing it means, urgent. 
Code 2 mm-hmm. means urgent using lights and sirens. But he's not supposed to go with lights and sirens. So I'm, I'm a little confused about that reference as why they would say that. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just the, they might not have done as much research as you did. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> they they knew that, the, that you know they they didn't know that 34 years from now someone was going to be doing a minute by minute uh, podcast analyze of Die Hard and analyze the fact that they call it a code two. Who knows? <laughs> there's there's also something written on the window which is backwards. We can't really see what it says, uh, you know, because it's from the from the outside, but. There is no word that I could figure out that that it's that it's it's y e n i k o m s h i a n. I have absolutely no idea what language that's in, but it just doesn't make any sense. It's yenik uh, yenik. Unless it's like the uh, oh 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 I, I well I can have a guess because the word below it looks like it might be the end the end words of proprietor. So it's probably the name of the proprietor of the shop. Oh okay. That would make sense because so I couldn't figure like out what that is. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes outside a gas station, they'll have like so-and-so proprietor outside. So. Okay. That actually explains a lot. Gas station <laughs> uh, proprietor. And uh, my guess is usually with those kind of things, you usually like make it a name of a friend of yours or somebody in the crew just to make a joke or something like that. So, so it's probably the last name of somebody they knew uh, that they made as the proprietor of the shop. Right. Probably so. not somebody in the production of the movie because uh, that, that is a name that would definitely stand out. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what, that's what well, I, I mean. Sometimes like mm-hmm. even the people within the art department or something like that, they'll, you know, you know, just name it after somebody who's working with them in the art department. Yeah, Nobody yeah, yeah. would like know per se or something like that, but somebody who worked on the film or something. So. Right. We've, we've had that in, in, in this movie. And also I had it in, uh, in in plane shows automobiles there were things where you know you would find names of people that are part of the production you know so we, we'll have that in in the next few weeks also there's a, a few yeah, of those also. like you know they do like i remember like that's something the the blacklist art department would do sometimes too like there was a in one of the episodes i did there was a pretzel cart that uh james spader gets arrested next to it was like uh season six episode two and um and uh, Bradley Schmidt, uh, who is the um, uh, in the art, you know, is the, the art director who uh, who um, was uh, creating it. I think he called the he painted on the thing Schmidt's pretzels or something like that. Yeah, I just remember, okay, I remember using his name. <laughs> thing. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Makes sense. So, I, um, I I remember I once uh, was at a a uh, discussion with 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 a director from the the movie. Have you ever seen the movie The Believer? From 2001, it was uh, no, I haven't. It was about a uh, a neo neo Nazi who turns out he was actually Jewish, and it's it's sort of based on something that really happened. And so Henry Bean was the director of that. And I remember that that he said that, uh, in this discussion that I that that I was uh, present on, you know, someone asked him, you know, because he he has a small little role in the movie, and he said yeah. that that everyone on the that they they needed a role for 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 this guy who gets assassinated, you know. So they basically everyone said that they, they should have the director do it because they they want to be able to to watch on screen the director getting his head blown off, you know. So he had he had a small little uh, you know small little role there with that. So yeah, I, so I I've I've known for for a long time that that you know directors and other production people uh, like to to throw in little little funny things about themselves and others that they know inside of uh, movies. And, uh, you know, as, as he's responding to, to the call, that's pretty much how uh, this minute ends. So is there anything else you wanted to say about this minute? No, I think we're good. Yeah, I think, I, I think, I think we, we did a fine job with this minute. So the, the script has a few little minor discrepancies, not, not that many, but there's, there's a few. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, they uh, they 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 talk about the fact that uh, for some reason the their their Carl is shooting with tracer bullets. Now I don't know if you're familiar with a tracer bullet is. A tracer yeah. bullet is usually when when you're shooting at night, so you have every fifth bullet, you know, usually from a machine gun. I know this from when I was in uh, the army in the Israeli army 30 years ago. So every fifth mm-hmm. bullet or something was a tracer so that, that, that you can see basically what direction you're shooting in. Okay. okay. So 
in, in the script, it makes sense that he would be using tracer bullets, but, you know, why would they actually think to take tracer bullets, you know, when they're going to, you know, uh, hijack a building, take hostages? You know, it's not something that, that so someone probably pointed out and told him, okay, you know, uh, maybe you shouldn't, uh, you know, maybe you don't need to have it in the movie itself. You know, they, they did the pyrotechnics well enough that there, there are enough sparks around there. Um, then it mentions that the, uh, the dispatcher looks critically at the supervisor in sudden silence after the, the shots are ring out. And then the supervisor says, uh, have a black and white, do a drive-by. Then it also mentions that there's not an AMPM. It mentions the 7-Eleven and that there are actually three different, uh, employees in there. But again, they, I mean, these are all minor things. It's nothing, uh, Nothing really, but I like the way that they describe Al the first time that we see him. It it says mm-hmm. uh, the customer is Powell, young for a police veteran, old for the rest of the world. Okay, but you know he's he's neither. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but they they still have the the whole you know mention of the the donuts and stuff like that. And then he goes, "They're for my wife. She's pregnant. If I knew she was going to eat a dozen at one shot, I would have bought stock in the company." You know, so that that actually makes it sound as if he's being more sincere as to why he's you know getting it, because there there isn't the whole back and forth between him and the and and the uh, you know the, the cashier about the whole thing. Um, and the other difference is is that uh, he's not uh, eight Lincoln thirty; he's one Adam ten, which doesn't really make a difference. But that reminded me of uh, Adam twelve, you know, which uh, was a TV show, which they they. I think it was from the sixties. Remember watching it on uh, reruns as a kid. Mm. You know, it was like a police show called uh, Adam Twelve. So okay. I, I wonder if that was part of the reason why you know he decided to call it Adam Ten, and then uh, you know they decided just to, to change that so it doesn't sound the same. <laughs> so, who knows? You know, you never. These are things that you know you can just guess about, and you know we'll never know if we're right or wrong unless someone. You know, who's listening to this knows the truth and will will let us know. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> right. Indeed. Exactly. So every Monday we have a segment called Die Hard on a Monday, where my guests will, will tell me their top five uh, Die Hard doppelganger movies. So, Kurt, you got uh, you got a list for us? Why don't you start with your number five and work your way up? Oh, as, as far as, like, favorite, like, action movies then? or You or can the... do favorite action movies. That's fine, too. Go ahead. No, but what 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 what's the what, the theme is supposed to be? It's usually it's it's Die Hard is is a movie that created a, a new type of genre. It's like one man against yeah, yeah. a whole bunch of others, you know. And and so yeah, many no, times there were a whole they've bunch, tried there were a whole bunch of knockoffs of this at the time. There was you know Die Hard on a bus with speed and Die Hard on uh, a plane with Passenger Fifty Seven. Exactly, was, that's you know, that's these... the idea. That's the idea. Or, or Air Force One was that yeah you know, was kind of Die Hard on a plane with the president. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That, um, that's the idea. I don't here. know that any of the knockoffs really did a lot for me. I mean, Speed I enjoyed, um, uh, and Air Force One certainly has its moments. Um, but as far as like, I don't know, like favorite like action movies. I mean, my favorite of all time is Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, that's never never been topped in my opinion. But um, but as far as like, I don't know, it's um, you know, like one man against uh, everyone's after him, like you know, yeah, uh, sort of thing. I mean, I don't know if. Minority Report falls into this category or not, but that's one of my favorites too. <laughs> okay, that can be there because um, that's like one guy who's being, you know. Okay, no, you know, that's that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's not trapped in the physical space though. Right. Um, and uh, you know, North by Northwest comes to mind too. That's not; a, it's more of a thriller than an action movie. But um, but uh, but yeah, as far as one person being trapped in like a physical space and. Uh, I don't know. This movie's kind of the the tops there. I think. Oh, for sure, it's the tops. That's not, that that. There's no question about that. The idea is, is if you can think of any others that are similar, that that you would, uh, you know, that that you that you enjoyed. Well, I mean, another one that comes to mind, but it's, you know, I guess it's more innocent man wrongly accused, but it is one guy being hounded by everybody's the fugitive too. <laughs> that, okay. that one was great. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. I mean, because they said there were not there were a lot of knockoffs, but I didn't really like them that much, except for Speed. So, so I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I don't have a a huge list in this regard, unfortunately. But, um, 
but uh right okay that's fair no problem yeah. okay <laughs> not a problem all right do, do okay. you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you if they're if they're interested if they're looking for a director sure. my my website <laughs> is just my name.com so uh you know k-u-r-t-k-u-e-n-n-e.com and there's a a button for contact on there for and there's an email there too so all right, great. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for a movie around minute. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook, or you can go to my website. So, Kurt, you feel like coming back again tomorrow, and uh, you know, maybe talking a little less about food? Let's let's do it. I, right. I don't think there's any food in the next minute. So no, that, that's, why. So. <laughs> that's why. We'll have to find something else to talk about tomorrow. How's that? Without without food. Good. All right, great. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay! Yippee ki yay! 